You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that we have a Savior who not only, dear Lord, was beaten, who died for our sin, paid the supreme penalty. God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But we thank You that the grave could not hold You, that, Lord, the tomb was open on the third day and, Lord, You were resurrected. And as Paul said in Corinthians, over 500 were alive even in that day to bear witness to the testimony that our Savior lives. And because He lives, we, we can face tomorrow. We can face any difficulty, any trial, any battle, any struggle that we may be going through right now. So, Lord, we just love You for that. We pray now, dear Lord, as we go to Your Word, we ask You, dear Lord, to speak to our hearts very clearly. And Lord, we'll give You all the glory and we thank You for this time of worship. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Take your Bibles and turn over to the Gospel of Mark. Turn over to Mark chapter 6. And we're going to pick up today at verse 14. Mark chapter 6. Matthew, Mark over there in the New Testament. Mark chapter 6, beginning at uh, verse 14. Now, a little bit of a backdrop here. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. And a little bit of a backdrop here. The disciples have been sent out. And they've taken the gospel. That word gospel means good news. And they've gone out with the message of Jesus Christ. And uh, that news has kind of come back to a king, and that's King Herod. And he's paranoid because King Herod, paranoid King Herod, had killed John the Baptist. And he begins to think that John the Baptist, that Jesus is John the Baptist come back to life basically to haunt him. So he's concerned. So we have what some commentators would call a Markin sandwich. In other words, when you look at the Gospel of Mark, it is fast-paced. It reads like a newspaper, and it's one story after another. In fact, sometimes Mark will be telling a story, and he'll interrupt it with another story. So Mark is talking about this time when King Herod, Herod is, um, is the king over a, uh, a fourth of the kingdom, and, and, and Herod is upset. Herod is paranoid. And so Mark wants to explain what's going on and how Herod has reached this paranoia that he's in. So in Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, King Herod heard about all of this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying that, now watch this, do you see it? Some were saying John the Baptist had been raised from the dead and that is why miraculous powers were working in the life of Jesus. Others said that he is Elijah. Still others claimed that he was a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod 
heard this, he said, now watch this, there's his paranoia. He said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his wife, uh, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. That's going to give you a little bit of an idea right there. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John. She wanted to kill him, but she was not able to do so because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to, to John. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out, said to her mother, Herodias, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl. She gave it to her mother. On hearing this, the disciples came, took the body of John the Baptist and laid it in a tomb. Wow. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We just give you all the glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you love a good soap opera? No, I'm teasing. Don't raise your hand. Please don't. You'll feel guilty by the end of this sermon. There's one thing that I'd never liked. My mom would watch soap operas as the stomach turns or whatever it was. And, uh, world goes round. I don't know what all the names of them were. You could, watch, you could actually go a decade without watching a soap opera and watch it 10 years later and pick right up with the same characters and the same plot. So it wasn't like anything great. If we looked at this passage, we'd say it almost reads in some ways like a little bit like a soap opera. In fact, the music of a soap opera I cannot, I cannot stand. If I go into home and, and the music of a soap opera is playing, I want to scream and run out of that, ho that house. But, you know, there's a statement that says, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so I titled this message today, The Power of a Strong Man over a weak 
a, a strong woman over a weak man. The power of a strong woman, it's hard for me to even say it, over a weak man. Because here, hell hath no fury like a scorned woman. Herodias had been condemned by John the Baptist as a treacherous and adulterous woman. And here we see how far she is willing to go to get her revenge. In some ways, one writer said it's almost amazing, this, this particular individual. Herod's family, uh, William Barclay said this, he said, the marriage tangles of the Herod family are quiet and credible, and their interrelations are so complicated that they become almost impossible to work out. You know, sometimes when I'm working around the church, I'll, I've got an app, uh, Grace to You. It's John MacArthur. So I'll pull up something and listen to MacArthur while I'm working. Not that MacArthur influences. He and I don't always agree theologically and even on biblical interpretation. But I was listening while I was working around the church and MacArthur tried to explain the entanglement, the soap opera surrounding the Herods. And I got to laughing because I thought even this biblical scholar absolutely was not able to communicate at all with a fellow minister how this thing unfolds and it's untangled. Now if you go back and you look back in Matthew chapter 2, in verses 16 through 18, Matthew chapter 2, if you remember, there was a king during the time of the birth of Jesus. His name was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a wicked, ungodly, immoral individual. He was ruthless. He married ten, he had ten wives. So that automatically gives you a little bit of an idea how, how hard it is to try to untangle this genealogy of Herod. Many of his kids were killed by Herod because as Herod got older and he got closer to his own death, he became even more paranoid and put a lot of his own kids to death because of jealousy. Some said that he was insanely suspicious. Augustus Caesar said this. Augustus Caesar said, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Herod had one son. His name was Herod Philip. Herod Philip was disinherited by Herod the Great. Now, though he was affluent, he never received any of the inheritance of Herod the Great. So he eventually moved to Rome. He lived in Rome and he married his niece. Herod Philip married his niece and her name was Herodias. They eventually have a daughter and it is this daughter who is dancing before Herod Antipas. Because Herod Antipas is this Herod here, and on one occasion he visits Rome, and he's visiting Herod Philip, and he seduces his sister-in-law, and eventually wins her over, and Herodias divorces and leaves Herod Philip and goes to, and marries Herod Antipas, and, they, and here this triangle begins to unfold. Now, John the Baptist is this fiery evangelist, this prophetic voice that all of a sudden burst on the scene after 400 years of silence. And John the Baptist begins to 
pull basically Herod Antipas and his relationship with Herodias and he begins to go at it. Man, he just, he fires away. He, perhaps Leviticus 18, 16, you are not to have sexual intercourse with your brother's wife. It will shame your brother. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21 states if a man marries his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has shamed his brother. No doubt John, one writer said, echoed this repeatedly because in Mark chapter 6, verse 18, it said that he was always talking about it. So you can understand why Herodias hated John the Baptist so much. William Barclay said this, because of this adulterous marriage and because of Herod's deliberate seduction of his brother's wife, John had publicly rebuked him. In spite of John's rebuke, Herod still feared and respected him, for John was so obviously a man of sincerity and of goodness. But with Herodias, Herodias it was different. She was hostile to John, and she was determined to eliminate him. And her chance would come. Herod Antipas would have a party. It was a stag party. It was an orgy. The parties of the Herods and the parties at this particular time were so depraved and so immoral and so pagan that even the Romans write in history that they were shocked by the barbaric paganism of some of the parties of the Herods. And so you have just debauchery and lewdness and basically an orgy. Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, Mark's gospel with vivid storytelling transports us from the sanitized world of comfort and stability to a time when rulers did as they pleased. Mark rips us from our homes to place us in a sleazy setting of pulsating music, filthy jokes, sensual dancing, too much alcohol, and too little moral restraint. For 16 verses, Swindoll said, we must observe the shameful inner court of Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, and the tetrarch of over Galilee and Perea. At the height of this drunken orgy, Herodias sends her daughter in to seduce Herod with a dance. William Barclay does an excellent job of breaking these characters down. And he says of Herod Antipas, this son of Herod the Great, he said Herod, this Herod in this story, is an odd mixture. Herod fears John, this prophet, and yet he respects him. He wants to listen to him. And yet he dreads him when he listens to him. One writer said Herod could fear John and love him. He could hate his message and yet not be able to free himself from his insistent fascination with John the Beloved. And you may say, well, how was, how was this able to be? Because this particular palace, the palace of Herod Antipas, the prison was right there at the palace. One writer said Herod was driven by an awakened conscience. Again, Swindoll said Herod kept John around. He protected him from harm because the man in the dungeon, listen to this, the man in the dungeon was his last and only connection 
with anything good. You know, sometimes you think in this nation, what will happen when Billy Graham finally dies? This prophetic preacher kind of voice that was fiery even in the late 40s and 50s. This individual that could literally fill stadiums at times. This individual that could stop a nation, often consoling us at the death of a president or 9-11 or whatever national catastrophic event we faced. And yet you wonder what day, what will happen when Billy Graham finally dies. And we think of other figures. One writer said Herod was a man driven by impulse. He, was a, he, he would make reckless promises, void of any reflection or any thought. He was driven by the flesh. He would be so driven by the flesh that he would lose his power of judgment. And that's exactly what the enemy can do to you and I if we're not careful. Sheila and I, years ago, Dancing with the Stars was on. I normally didn't watch it, but Sheila said, Hey, I want to see Sarah Palin's daughter. And so she put it on there, and we were sitting there watching it when all of a sudden a voice came in the back of my mind that said, What difference is there between you sitting on this couch watching Dancing with the Stars and Herod watching his, his own daughter dance? And I came under conviction because I thought to myself, you know, you know, the truth is, even as I was reading this, I thought to myself, on any given night, on, Nash, on, on just regular broadcast TV, we can attend a party almost as bad as Herod's. One writer said, in the end, Herod feared what others would think. He kept a promise, though it would haunt him. And now, though he had killed John the Baptist, when he heard about Jesus, he thought John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. And then we come to Herodias. Hell hath no fury. And boy, that's true, isn't it? Herodias is driven by bitterness. She's driven by bitterness toward the man of God. One writer, and this is powerful. I was telling Ledge and Alicia, I think as y'all were backing out of the park, uh, backing up our driveway, I said, uh, I, I, I gave this quote talking about this sermon today. I said, this is a quote, and it goes way back in history. Ladies, listen. Every woman, listen. A good woman might marry a bad man. For by doing so, she will in the end, by making him as good as herself. In other words, a good woman can marry a bad man, and her power of influence will in time probably make him a better man. Now let me, let me give a warning here. And I thought about this because this is an historical statement that goes back almost as old as the New Testament. I wrote a warning here if she walks out the faith. Some women coddle their husbands and thereby condemn him to hell. But the statement is, a good woman might marry a good man, and first by so doing, she would end by making him as good as herself. But a good man might never marry a bad woman, for she would inevitably drag him down to her level. Wow. Ladies, it shows you the power of influence in your life, of your life, and the life of the person that you're married to. You will either raise him up, 
or you will pull him down. And that was Herodias. Herodias sought to destroy the one man who would tell her the truth. She couldn't get to Herod. She couldn't get to Herod. Well, she couldn't get Herod away from John. That was the problem. She could not get Herod, her husband, away from John. Those long nights, Herod, she'd find him getting up, going down to the dungeon, attached to the palace, and there he would sit fascinated, listening to this prophet of the New Testament, John the Baptist. And John, she would know, would be telling Herod one thing. Herod, you need to repent. You need to renounce. You need to be the man of God. You need to see that God is calling you to a level of purity and holiness. He was seeking to correct Herod's relationship with Herodias, and Herodias kept getting in the way. One writer said, Herodias conspired to murder John. Listen to this, to silence his truth to carry on with her control of Herod, to live life as she chose to live it. She wanted to be the authority in Herod's life, but somebody else was getting in the way of that. Let me tell you something, folks. You may not like it, and our society may not like it. But wives, the Bible says you're to submit to your husband, which means hupatasso in the Greek. It means to fall in rank, and that means to come under his leadership, under his guidance. The Bible says this, that Sarah followed Abraham and called him Lord. I know it's hard sometimes, but that's still true. And then finally we come to this third character, John the Baptist. He's a man of strength. He's a man of courage, a man of truth and honesty. He's a man's man. You know, so often you look at Hollywood and they make Jesus and John the Baptist and some of these disciples, they look as if they're kind of wimpy men. He was a man's man. He was a man of the wilderness, a man of the desert. And he would die for truth. One writer said, and I thought this was good, those who silence their conscience seek also to silence all the voices which might awaken their conscience. We live in a nation like that today. We are searing our conscience and we don't like people to wake up our conscience and especially those who speak for God. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, it is remarkable that there is no evidence that any of the Jewish leaders did anything to rescue John the Baptist after he was arrested. The common people considered John a prophet of God, but the religious leaders did not obey John's message. Daniel Aiken said this, he said, We now move into the lurid events that led to the execution of the greatest prophet in all the scripture. That's the words of Jesus. The greatest prophet that ever walked the earth is about to be executed, to be murdered. He said, he goes on, Daniel Aiken said, It is all too familiar story of sex, power, pride, lust, and revenge. Herod may have been weak and paranoid, but his wife Herodias was conniving and ruthless. She would stop at nothing, even prostituting her own daughter. Divorce, adultery, incest, drunkenness, striptease dancing, murder, characterized Herod. This was sin, the writer says, Aiken says, on steroids, and in the midst of all of this, this is a man consumed with a guilty conscience because he's not doing what is right. Wow. Herod feared John. Yes, he feared his message more. 
Herodias feared John because John's influence in the life of her husband, and she didn't like it. Nearly 40 years of ministry, I can tell you this, most of my problems have come in ministry by an authoritative woman and a weak, anemic man. Herodias feared John's influence in her husband's life. She didn't like it. One writer said Herod did not know what to do with John, but unfortunately, his Jezebel wife knew exactly what she wanted. Herodias held a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Listen to this next statement. The only place where her marriage certificate could safely be written was on the back of the death warrant of John the Baptist. All she needed was the right moment. Then you come to the daughter. You know, when you look at this, the daughter was, we would say, a victim. She's a young girl. She's the pawn in the hand of an ungodly parent. You know, children are often used for crimes. I'll never forget it. Never forget one day sitting there with uh, Sean, Sean Boyd. Here this guy is, known by Jackson police as a uh, supervised lord. We're sitting there talking, and we were talking about, a, about an event where a young man was killed, and the mother was weeping. And he made this statement, he said, it is not the outcome that matters to her, but the income. I thought, that's strange. What do you mean? Here's a gang member. Here's a man who's lived his life on the streets. I said, what do you mean by that? It's not the outcome that matters to her, but the income. He said, because she lost income. She lost profit. He, through his criminal life, was bringing money into the household. And I thought to myself, I wanted to go and warn that mother, oh my God, how hell is getting ready for you. The reality is, is that some criminal acts carried on today in the inner cities and in every walk of life. There are CEOs of major companies, corporations that are just as ungodly, just immoral, and they've taught their kids to be exactly the same as they are. There's corruption in all areas. And that's our new grandson, uh, Aaron, who's now leaving the church because Paul Paul shouted too loud. I wrote, that, I wrote that on my wall. After this guy left who lived his life on the streets, I wrote that on my wall. It's not the outcome, but the income that matters. And that was Herodias. Here are some suburban parents that rent hotels during prom night. Here are parents that provide beer at, a, at their party. They think it's cute sitting out with their teenagers out by the swimming pool, hosting a party being the talk of the town. I can tell you, I've seen some of those homes. I've seen some of those parents. Let me tell you some parents of young children, you better be on top of your game when your kids are interacting and they've got their peers because there's some parents that have no moral values at all. And you may think, well, they're, they're good people. They go to church. That doesn't make a dime's worth of difference. Some of them rent hotels, buy drugs, booze, or whatever. They just say, well, I just want to know where they are. There's a word for that, but I won't repeat it. 
Some parents have paved the way to hell by the life that they've lived before their children and it is wrong and parent needs to repent. That was Herodias. She would use her daughter. She was driven by such hatred, such bitterness. Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you would be better off to tie a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into a lake or in the reservoir. Herod was driven, one writer said, by flesh, carnal nature. He was on his way to hell, and John stood in the way until Herodias removed him. The Bible said that Herod was greatly distressed. It's the same word used of Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 34. I wrote this down. Many a pastor, many a deacon, many a church leader has lost his influence as a man of God, his role as a soldier in God's army because his wife resented her husband's time spent in spiritual matters. She resented his time spent in ministry. She stood in the way of every time he wanted to sell out and give his life over to Christ and be the man that God would have him to be. I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is the truth. There have been men even in this church that were leaders. God had their hands on them. They were being used mightily and their wife was a ball and chain that stood in the way over and over again against everything he sought to do for the church and for ministry and for the cause of Christ and ultimately listen closely. I could give you story after story of those women and their lives since that day. You say, Brother Jeff... You sound very serious. You better believe I am. Forty years, nearly 40 years of ministry, enormous amount of damage has been done to women's marriages, to their families, to their kids, and to their life because they refuse to follow the spiritual leadership of their husbands. You know, I wrote down sad, many a military wife supports her husband better than women of God do their husbands. Isn't it amazing that we live in a day when men will go off to fight a war, when men go off for military service, and we'll put her up on a, and make her a trophy in our society, and yet a woman can get in the way of a man seeking to do God's will for, uh, for his life and even for hers, and, we'll, and, and we say nothing. R.G. Lee, in his famous sermon, Payday Someday, made this statement. He said, the most beautiful creature, the most loving creature, the most compassionate creature, the most merciful creature. He said, the most beautiful creature that God ever created was a woman. He said, the most wicked, most diabolical, most manipulative creature that God ever created was a woman. What was he saying? He was simply saying this, that there is the potential to either be ladies really good or really bad. And when a lady's really bad, they literally... Let me tell you, what did Napoleon say? Napoleon said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. A godly wife, a godly mom can have such an influence on her husband, have influence on children, have influence on grandchildren. When my kids, when my grandkids come to the house, they walk in, they say, where's Nan? I cried yesterday. I looked at Sheila. I said, be careful. She was going to a wedding. I was, going some, I was somewhere else, and so we couldn't be together, and I just had a bad feeling. I get on to her about her driving. I don't know what it is, but now she's in her 60s. She's got a lead foot. 
we leave out in the morning and I feel like I'm behind Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt Jr. I mean, in a, looks like a white street going down I-20 heading toward Jackson. But I looked at her and I wept. I cried. I said, I love you so much and I don't want nothing to happen to you. Why? Because she's a good woman. A godly woman that's had an enormous amount of influence, not only in my life, not only in the life of my children, not only in the life of my grandchildren, but in the life of every person that she's ever touched. I wrote this down. A wife can undermine the, pa- a wife can undermine the pastor's leadership. Sometimes you'll get women in a church, they present the pastor. They're the authority. Sometimes they're the spiritual authority. They see themselves as somewhat the pastor, the spiritual leader in their home. Now, they don't, they don't say that. They don't come out, but, but you know it. They're kind of the spiritual thermometer in the home. They're the, they're the leader. They call the shots. He's just kind of two or three steps behind her. And that kind of wife, authoritative woman, can undermine the leadership of a pastor. She can begin to malign his character. She can begin to quietly question a pastor's or or, or minister's leadership, his motives. She can begin to rebel against his influence, his authority, and his leadership in the life of her husband. And she can rebel to spiritual authority to finally she can do unbelievable damage to not only her marriage, her home, and her family, but even to the body of Christ. Ladies, I'm warning you, do not get in the way of what God wants to do in the life of your husband. And you may say, Brother Jeff, we are a handful of people, but we do not know how many people will listen to this sermon online. Ladies, and let me also warn you, you never compromise the Bible, the authority of God's Word, in order to get along with your husband. You make, him, you make him twice the child of hell when you do. If you ever compromise your goodness in order to appease your husband, in the end it will backfire and you'll destroy your marriage and you'll destroy your kids. Your kids will pay the price. You're married to Jesus. Never forget that. He's your first husband. John's ministry was about a year. Did you know that? John the Baptist died in his early 30s. A desert man died in, the, died in a dungeon. Ministry, only about a year. Then he was gone. The greatest prophet who ever walked the earth. Greater than Elijah and Elisha. Greater than Isaiah, Jeremiah. Greater than Habakkuk. Greater than Amos, greater than Malachi, greater than Micah. John the Baptist killed by an angry, vindictive, unspiritual, ungodly woman. I love Luke chapter 13, verse 32. You don't have to go there. Let me read it to you. This is what Jesus told that Herod. Because They were trying to intimidate Jesus. Jesus sent this word to Herod. He said, you go tell that fox, look, 
I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I'll complete my work and I'm not intimidated at all. You go tell that fox that. In Luke 23, verses 8 and 9, it says when Jesus was on trial. You remember when he was on trial before Pilate? You remember Pilate said, I, I don't find no guilt. I don't, know what to do. I, don't know to, I don't know what to do with him. Here's Jesus, beaten, bruised, battered. Crown of thorns on his head, beaten, already kicked around, mocked and ridiculed. Pilate says, I know what I'll do. I'll send him to my enemy, Herod Antipas. Let him deal with it. Galilean. He's a tetrarch of Galilee. Let him fool with it. My wife's already told me, don't touch this man. You remember when Jesus went to Herod? Everybody looked this way. What did Jesus say to Herod Antipas? Nothing. Not a word. Herod Antipas said, are you the Messiah? You the Christos? Or are you the Son of God? Hey, perform some of these miracles. And you know what they did? They took a purple robe. They took Herod, Antipas, and they took his robe because see, he was afraid that it was John the Baptist. That's why he wanted to see him. He wanted to see Jesus. The Bible says that. Luke says it. He wanted to see Jesus to make sure that this wasn't John the Baptist returned from the dead because the hand of God was on this man and he was performing miracles. And Lazarus, his best friend, had been raised from the dead. He had to see for himself. Once he recognized this is not John, this, this is not John the Baptist. And he began to mock, ridicule. They took a purple robe and wrapped it around his bloody frame. Struck him on the head. Laughing and mocking. And then Herod Antipas sent him back to Pilate. But in that moment, Herod Antipas was on his way to hell not only with the blood of John the Baptist on his hand, but now the blood of Jesus Christ. His citizenship in hell. He laughs, he mocks at Christ, he puts a purple robe on him, he slaps him around while the angelic army of heaven is leaning over like I'm leaning over right now, on high alert, ready to go. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says, even though he is dead, speaking of John the Baptist, he still speaks through his faith. Last Sunday, sitting down there, boy, I love Baptist Hospital on a Sunday afternoon. Man, that place is so quiet and nice sitting there drinking coffee, waiting on this 16th grandchild, this ninth this 11th grandson that gives me a football team and, and uh, all of a sudden Sheila calls and she's just weeping and crying, scaring me. And she said, he's here. He's all right. How much does he weigh? Seven pounds, 15 ounces, I think. He's 21 inches long. He's beautiful. Now the next thing she said was, he looks just like Jeffrey. I told somebody this week, one day Ethan and my grandkids will bury me. But I will still be firing at my enemy, the devil. Because one day when Ethan is an old man and he's got a great grandson, 
he'll look at him and says, let me tell you about my papa. Wow, what a preacher. Never gave up. Let me ask you something this morning. You willing to put your head on a platter? You willing to die for your faith? May come to that. Do you know Herod only answered to one man? You know? Herod Antipas answered to one man. He answered to the emperor of Rome. But Herod compromised everything because he became a puppet of his wife. I'll say it again, then we'll pray. Many a man fails to be the spiritual leader. He's robbed of his position in God's army because he walks behind his wife's spiritual leadership rather than what God has called him to be. And if America were in a day that we need great spiritual leaders, men of God, we so need them today. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, I, I preached today with a passion and an urgency. I've talked, dear Lord, warning, not just the people that are in this congregation, but those that may listen by website, to be reminded that, Lord, a woman has great power, great influence in the life of her husband, she can either bring him up or she can destroy him and bring him down. A wife, a mother has the ability to raise godly men and women. As Napoleon said, the hand that rocks the cradle does rule the world. Her power of influence, no matter her age. And there are some women that need to be reminded, don't give up. They may be feeling discouraged. They may be defeated. They may feel like, you know, maybe I have failed. No, it's not over with yet. Maybe that a mama, mom of grown children has to say, I'm sorry that I didn't live a better life in front of you, but I've given my life to Christ now and I've repented. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Some mothers need to go to grown children and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. There's some moms in this room, some moms in the sound of my voice, they're dabbling in sin. Oh, they're Christian. They're saved. But some of the talk that comes out of their mouth, some of the things that go into their body, some of the things that they put into their mouth, some of the things that they watch on TV, some of the music that they listen to, some of the friendships that they have, they are paving the way for a child to rebel against the Holy God. Some moms may need to go home and say to little children, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. I need to be a better leader, a better example. Some, some moms need to go home. Some wives need to go home to a rebellious, defiant, unrepented husband. And they may need to say, I want to ask you to forgive me. I've not been the kind of spiritual leader in this home because you're not. I've, I've had to be. But I've not been the kind of spiritual example that I need to be. So I told a man this week, 
children ought to go through a home and see where mom and dad have studied the Bible, Bible over, and a cup of coffee there. Children ought to go by. Children ought to on their way to school. TVs ought to be cut off, and moms need to be praying over the children. Lord, bless, bless Ethan today. Protect him. Watch over him. Keep him safe. Help him to make good choices, good decisions. God, forgive me for times for not doing that when I take my grandson to, to school. Lord, may you just speak to every heart. And Lord, I'm not getting on to women today, but this is a sermon about Herodias. This is a sermon about a woman. This is a weak man married to a strong woman. This is a bad man married to a bad woman. So Lord, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts and pray, dear Lord, if somebody would give their life to Christ today, what a glorious thing that would be. Some may need to come. They don't need to take my hand. They need to just come and spend a moment at this altar and do business with God. God, speak to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, and we'll give you the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.